You know, it is really kind of amazing the the memories that stick with you from childhood because most of them go away. I mean, you can't you can't remember most of what happened to you when you were three or five. You know, uh, your your parents tell you stuff you did. You're gonna have to trust them because honestly, you don't remember a bit. But there's always that one or two memory that just kind of stick. And for me, one of them is, I'm, I'm a young guy, I'm probably like three, and I've been told to go to the closet and get, get a pair of pants down, and um, I grab hold of them, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, small enough that I actually have to grab up and, and get them, and I grab both legs, and I pull on the pants, and the pants won't come down, because, you know, they're hung over this, this hanger. And it makes me mad that these pants won't do what I want them to. Uh, I remember thinking specifically, now I could let go of one of the legs and just pull on the other one, but I don't want to do that. That's not as convenient. So I want reality to do what I want it to do. I want to pull these pants down without having to let go of the other one. And I pull and I tug and reality refuses to do what I want it to do and it makes me mad because it's, it's, uh, it's insulting me and I want it to obey me and I finally just absolutely burst that hanger into pieces and shreds of it go flying in all different directions and my father comes over and asks me what I was doing and I tell him the, hang- the hanger has made me mad because it wouldn't obey me. Uh, that made perfect sense to my three-year-old mind. Um, it's the sort of thing you look back on and you chuckle because that's a, that's a toddler and he's thinking and his way of thinking is kind of adorable but it's not in any way connected to reality in any way. But it makes perfect sense to him. He had desires and he had certain understandings and it, it, that's the way it was supposed to work. Except it didn't. Right now, at the college level, all I teach is world religions. But in the past, I've actually been, uh, you know, all over the humanities. I've taught uh, introduction to philosophy. But really, the major course I've taught before this was I taught introduction to critical thinking, which is kind of a fascinating course. And... Uh, it focuses on the idea of how men think, what, what the thought process is, and it, it goes across the gamut of, of philosophy. And uh, in that course, I always got a chance to introduce my students to Augustine of Hippo. We know him as our Christian brother, a great leader in the faith, but uh, other uh, disciplines know him too because he was actually a philosopher, And he made a statement having to do with epistemology, which is really what critical thinking is all about. Epistemology is the word that is the study of how we know what we know. And Augustine had a maxim, I believe that I may understand. You will be surprised, I'm sure, to learn that non-Christian people absolutely despise Augustine for that maxim. I believe that I may understand. 
I have not seen such vehemence against a maxim. Uh, not many get the kind of hatred that go against it. The, the academic hatred of it is centered on the idea that Augustine has said, I, I have trust, because that is what the word belief means. I have trust in somebody. In this particular case, it is the revelation of God. God has spoken, and I trust what he says. And since I trust what God says, it becomes the foundation for my ability to understand things. I don't start off with the ability to understand. I don't start off with human reason. I start off with God has spoken, and I trust God And on the basis of his revelation, I can then understand the world around me. The secular world throws up its hands and screams and says, that is anti-intellectual. That is is slavery to to the concept of God. Uh, Real freedom is reason, human reason. That is what Augustine should have said. He should have said, I think, therefore I can understand. That's that's what they would like him to say. And so they make Augustine a bad guy, and they say his way of thinking is magical. His way of thinking uh, would keep us in the dark ages. There, There could be no development of science and reason if we went with his approach. The only problem with that is that science and reason literally developed in his approach. Augustine was one of the fathers of what we now call Christendom, which is the basis of the Western tradition. And it was in the Western tradition that reason and science were born and grew. Now, uh, the, you also have other branches in other places. I mean, there's some Islamic uh, growth there, but really reason and science grew out of the Christian worldview, and Augustine was one of the great founders of that worldview, but they accuse him of anti-intellectualism because you have to believe before you can understand. Um, for the Christian... Augustine has to be right. I told you a story about when I was a toddler, when I was a small child. I had not achieved any sort of reasoning level worth talking about at that point, but I did have another intellectual capability. I had the capability of the will. I was willful. And I really didn't like what that hanger was uh, doing. I felt the hanger was insulting me. I took it personal. My will was very well developed. And I acted out of my will, bringing my father to come over and explain to me that inanimate objects don't hate you. And they don't make decisions. Uh, Inanimate objects are not thinking at all. You're the thinker, and you have to actually obey natural law in your decisions. Uh, Larry Westbrook actually did a very good job that day of explaining to a three-year-old that a hanger did not hate him. 
and he needed that explanation. You know, it's, it stayed with me. From that day, I have not really pictured inanimate objects hating me, but it was a development I needed, and I had a will without understanding. Will developed first. When I taught critical thinking, I had a pretty good textbook, and in chapter 2, there were 22 laws that we were going to follow in studying critical thinking, and law 12 read as follows. We will put our faith in human reason. Now think about those words for a second. We will put our faith in human reason. Chapter 1 was a history of the critical thinking movement, and it had been totally against the concept of faith, really. I mean, it didn't address it that often by name, but it was an attack on faith. Uh, we're not going to trust in what God has revealed. We're going, to, we're going to use our reason. But here at Law 12, we are going to put our faith in reason. Well, I thought faith was bad. I thought faith was uh, the, the big uh, thing we were trying to avoid. What gives? Well, it turns out that human reason is very much a part of the created order. Human reason is created, and it develops, and it can be fooled. If anyone has ever uh, seen A Christmas Carol in all of its many uh, incarnations, um, you know, you can hear Ebenezer saying, you're not really here, Uh, I ate a big meal, I'm probably having indigestion, there's more about gravy than grave about you. He's bringing up the fact that human reason can be totally fooled. You can be delusional, you can be tricked in your senses. You can come to wrong conclusions. Um, What is the foundation even for saying that human reason even works the way we think it does? How do you know you're not a madman? I mean, seriously. You're looking at someone standing behind a podium giving you a message. How do you know I'm here? How do you know you're not a, a, a victim of delusion laying in a bed somewhere under incredible mental illness, imagining your reality? Nothing is existing the way you think it is. How, how do you prove that? Well, the answer is you don't. The greatest of the philosophers have come to the conclusion that you cannot prove that you can prove anything. So ultimately, you come down to a level where you have to have faith in something, in, in philosophy, that's been called the ground of being, and in Christian religion, the ground of being is the God who is outside of time and space, who is outside of the created order. God is not created, God is not uh, given to time, God doesn't develop, he never changes, God is completely separate from all the natural laws that he created, and he becomes the foundation 
for being able to say something is what it is. That's why science and reason developed in the Christian tradition. Christians knew that God had defined reality because he had made reality. When God said, let there be trees, it literally defined that trees existed and that tree was a tree. If you take that away, there is no real foundation for defining anything. How can you say, uh, you know, uh, anything is something? How can you have a foundation for that without a ground of being? Well, you can't. And so, ultimately, in this secular college, we have to put our feet down on a foundation which is strictly our imagination that says, I imagine my reasoning is sound. The Christian puts his feet down on God and says, God has said, let there be light. So there is light, and light does certain things, and it's designed for that. God said, let the water be separated So it's separated, it does what God says, that's where we put our feet down. Now, the sermon passage is from the psalm. The psalm is 131, and uh, it's about what we're talking about. The way it's structured is the very heart of this very small psalm is in the middle. It's it's verse 2. And uh, it's the reason why if people love this psalm, they love it, because it's got an imagery to it. It's of a little child, uh, an infant probably, but I mean you could even draw it up into the toddler level. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. What comes before that lays the foundation for that happening, and what comes after that is the natural progression of the fact it's happened. The the, the core of the message of the song is verse 2, I am a weaned child with my mother. I I have been an infant, and I have been a nursing infant, but I need to grow up, and so I have gone through the weaning process, and now I'm at the other side of that, and I'm comfortable with that. I have learned to be weaned, and I am content with my mother. So you've got this beautiful picture of a little infant laying in his mother's arms, and everything is peaceful and calm. Uh, Any of you mothers ever wean a child? I obviously have not done this, so I'm talking from secondhand experience. But I'm told that the weaning of a child is usually anything but peaceful. I am told that the child has a desire for, for sustenance, and it knows how to get that sustenance. And when it's being told, you need to do this in a different way, will rises up before understanding ever develops. And will gets pretty combative. Will wants to have what it wants, and so you have to break the will. And so when you get to the point of verse 2, you've had a battle. And will and the parent's will have clashed, 
And there have probably been sleepless nights, and there have been moments where you just can't stand being a parent anymore, and won't that child shut up, and I'm going to let it cry, and I'm going to go into the next room and play video games and pretend I'm not here because this is so stressful. But we have come to the end of that process, and the child has developed because the parent has made it develop, and ultimately the will has had to be broken so that understanding can be achieved. But what does the breaking of that will entail? Well, the breaking of that will entails ultimately the child having to trust the parent, there will be sustenance. I can trust mom. She's not going to starve me to death. Uh, Mom wants me to do this a different way. I don't understand. I don't like. But I will trust mom. And in trusting mom, I will learn a new way to gain sustenance. And that happens... And so what you see in verse 2 is what Augustine is talking about. You are seeing faith that leads to understanding. I fight with mom. I ultimately learn to trust mom, trust his faith. In my faith of mom, I learn to grow up and I learn to be able to eat solid food. Trust leads to the ability to understand. And in the first verse, uh, you have a little bit of a different picture when you read it from the light of this is what I was before we did verse 2. In verse 1 we read, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters nor with things too profound for me. Well, that's a good confession, and that's where you ought to be. But the person singing about that is is contrasting it with verse 2, which suggests that at the beginning of our story, my heart was haughty, my eyes were lofty, and I did get involved in things I knew nothing about, things too great for me. Now, I'm not that now, but I was that. Like a little child, I had will but not understanding. And if anyone has ever really been a parent, you know that the the one Christian doctrine that you really don't have a hard time convincing a new parent about is the doctrine of original sin. They are at that point where, you know, this this one's a given because they can see it. They don't have to teach their child to lie. They don't have to teach their child to be selfish. They don't have to teach their child to be brutish. All of that comes installed already in the machine. Um, And the psalmist is saying, before God brought me to trust in him, I was arrogant, I was haughty, uh, I thought I knew everything about everything, But God has broken me, and now I have faith. I have faith, and I'm like a weaned child. Uh, This has been development for me, and uh, there's really no other way to grow up but this. Have 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 you asked yourself a question, 
why are we in an age where literally nothing can be defined? I mean, we're literally watching the, the brightest of the bright on computer screen tell us they don't know what a woman is. Uh, they, they can't define what a marriage is. They can't define what justice is. Although they absolutely demand that justice takes place, they can't define what it is. Why, why is that? Well, it's because, as Augustine said, we must believe to understand. Without trusting our divine parent, the God who created us and is raising us, without trusting him, there is no ground to define anything. So when those poor people look you in the eye and say, I don't know what a woman is, they honestly don't. Because they have fallen through the philosophical floor, there is no ground for them to stand on, so words no longer have any meaning. They have, they have not become a, like a weaned child ready to grow. They are literally in the chaos of will without understanding. But when you have faith in what God says, when you have faith in the one who does know what's happening, it's not you, it's them, when you trust God even when you don't like what he's doing, then you develop a foundation for understanding. And that's where the Christian is. I mean, uh, do, do you think you could confidently look someone in the eye and say, you know what a woman is? Do, do you think you would be arrogant in doing that? And the answer is, of course, no, but you've got a foundation for that. You are like a weaned child. You have trusted God, and on the foundation of that trust, you are able to develop and grow And for you, faith in God is an absolute uh, good thing. It's it's a a virtue. Um, In my my tenure in academia, uh, I've, I've watched professors get up behind their podiums and look for all the world like southern backwoods preachers slamming their pulpits and shouting with a message that faith is slavery, faith brings darkness, faith is not a virtue. I mean, I can picture this one particular professor, sweat is pouring off of him, he is slamming the pulpit. You would swear this guy is a holiness preacher who has hit his, his run, but, but his message is faith is bad. And yet the truth is, Christian faith, belief in the true God who created what is, who defined it by his speaking, faith in that God is the foundation to understand anything else. And so faith, so far from being anti-intellectual, faith is literally the foundation to have any sort of rational thought. And if you oppose being weaned, uh, you're arrogant, you have lofty eyes, and you've concerned yourself with matters you don't understand at all. But when you flip to the last verse, you see what those who are growing in understanding, those who are being sanctified, are like. O Israel, says the last verse, people of God, 
You who belong to God by covenant, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Hope is looking forward on the basis of faith. Faith looks back to what God has done. Hope looks forward to what he's going to do. Since you know who he is because you've seen what he's done, you can take to the bank what he's going to do. Well, the psalm takes us from, I've been broken, I have faith, and I'm at peace, to Israel, I want you to have this kind of experience with me. Uh, faith in the Lord is, is the beginning of wisdom. Faith in the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, you can't have those things without it. And Israel, embrace it. Embrace the Lord, hope in the Lord. In fact, do that from this time forth and forever. Until you have weaning take place, you will never have understanding take place. I know that, uh, you know, you wake up every morning and you ask, how long can this world go on the way it is? Well, the answer is, it will go on the way it is until men know Christ. Um, it's, it's currently all the rage to uh, talk down Christendom. But Christendom was actually the foundation for knowledge, for progress, for the development of mankind to advance in justice and equity and righteousness. Um, the reason why Christendom could exist was because men trusted God. Without an evangelized society, you won't have a knowledgeable society. If men don't know God, they don't know anything else. It doesn't matter if they have the technical knowledge to build an atom bomb. They don't know what the atom is for. They don't know how to define it. They don't know what's good to do with it. So honestly, they don't know anything at all. I believe that I may understand. I am like a weaned child with my mother. I have trusted my mother. I have let her define things. Now I am at peace and I can hope. Faith is the beginning of real life. Not just religious life. We can't in any way continue this charade that says there is a sacred and a secular, and I will have faith over here, you know, kind of in the sacred, and then I'll be something else in the secular. If you want to understand anything at all, you have to begin with faith. It is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of reason. Fear of the Lord takes away the fear of everything else. May God grant us this image for our church, our life, and our times.